Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have a pretty funny dude on today. You guys are going to like this guy. Matt Sweetwood will be joining us, so we'll see you in a minute. And we are back. I'm going to bring Matt on with us. Matt, welcome to the show. Ken, it is a thrill to be here. Man, I am so excited to have you here. I couldn't even sleep last night. Sleep? You I, are... I was waiting. I, I just was like queued up like at the voting line. <laughs> so you were um, you were referred over to me by our, our buddy um, Adam Markle. He's a fantastic guy. Yeah, he is like this, like the speaker of speakers. You know, he's hey. the speaker speaker. Yeah, right. He, he's something else. So, so I started this show. It's been two and a half years ago, um, and it was to kind of help the world, like have a breakthrough, get through the stuff that we yeah. get all get stuck in, and and you know, I know you're a fantastic. Dude, you have a blue check mark on your personal Facebook page. You have to be somebody special to get that. Like really special. Yeah, or just really lucky or I don't know. Is that lucky? I, <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty incredible. Good, right, so, right. So let's start with you telling everybody where you were born and raised. Um, so I am uh, the Jersey guy, right? Like a, like, like a whole bunch of Jersey guys. Uh, now found his way to Florida for a whole assortment of reasons. Spent most of my uh, most of my adult life in New Jersey. Uh, yeah. Raised my five kids there. Uh, built a hundred million dollar company there and exited there. Went to college there. Uh, fought a Supreme Court case there actually. Um, then found my way to New York after I exited my business. Spent a few years in the city, like every fifty uh, something year old single guy. And uh, now made myself to uh, Florida where we're doing some really cool business with a new company called Insurious. So two things I want to point out is um, number one, that unbelievably awesome background you have, like that is maybe the coolest background ever. I, I am honored because I, you have backgrounds of like really famous people that have like two blue checks on their Facebook page. <laughs> you know, the thing I, the, the, I mean, the flag, I love flag art. It's actually really hard to find good, uh, flag art that doesn't sort of have a negative uh, connotation to the flag, like is disrespectful to it. And it was actually, in all seriousness, trying to find a piece of artwork that I thought was respectful in that way to the flag that really showed it. And the, the, the little thing next to me, which you can't really see, I'm actually really proud of that, um, that little plaque right there. Yeah. Um, that actually, that plaque is actually a picture uh, from an astronaut who was in space who took a picture with a camera that I sold him in my from my electronics business. Are you because, serious? And those are star trails from space. Normally you take star trails from the earth and they go sort of like left to right across the sky. 
But if you can look closely in those pictures, you can see they're circular because the spacecraft is orbiting the Earth, and that's the patch from his mission jacket, you know, from his from his shoulder. So how I'm do you get a picture of a round Earth when we know the Earth is flat? That's that's right. He just kind of tilted the camera a few times. <laughs> that was a really special camera. Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing I wanted to say, besides your amazing background, um, is your amazing background, like in business. Like you went right past that at about 100 million miles an hour. You built a $100 million company. I did it in a very, very difficult industry. I, I think in some ways I'm most proud of that because this wasn't um, the industry I was in. The camera business, you know, the electronics business was a, uh, a negative growth business. It was in decline almost the entire time that I was in it. So it required continuous reinvention, reimagination of the business, continuous shifting. We almost lost the boat a few times, almost sunk, figured out how to come out of it. And I'm feeling really good because I exited the thing like right at the right moment, right? They didn't see the waterfalls, you know, that the ship was sailing on there. And I kind of jumped off to the shore and, you know, sunned myself on the beach. So you, 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 you were, you were raised in Jersey. You went to school in high school. Did you go to college? Rutgers, man. I am a Rutgers Scarlet Knight, but I was there like when the sports teams were just dreadful. They fantasized about being division one sports, but yeah. It didn't happen. <laughs> so you're a huge Buckeye fan as a result. Yeah, no, I I don't know. In today's environment, I don't know if I can watch any yeah. sports. That's I'm with I did. That's a whole nother time, a whole nother I am one thousand I I like I'm I've been a Steelers fan since I was seven years old, man. I and I heard they're undefeated this year. Nope, not watching it. Yeah, I was a Cowboys fan when I was young, so probably would have hated each other, but you know, <laughs> Terry Bradshaw and Roger Staubach, right? So let's date, let's date ourselves. Like, yeah, right. right. Okay. Lynn I Swan. No idea who you're talking Lynn, about. But. Franco Harris and that, that BS catch that he <laughs> supposedly made probably hit the turf if they had replay or whatever. But okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm going to a place that your audience brought. Unless yeah. they're old guys like me, you know, they probably yeah. No so so yeah. you went to you went to Rutgers you get out of college what was your what what did you major in I was a mathematics major and then I went to Penn and studied mathematics in graduate school and ended up with one of those degrees with a bunch of letters on the on the end there in theoretical wow. mathematics Good lord wow people do that huh people do that exactly <laughs> I'm going to tell you actually there's a very you know let's be a little humanistic about it one of the reasons why I went into mathematics, obviously I, I had some aptitude for it, but though my high school guidance counselor told my parents I had no aptitude for mathematics. I always meant to go back to him, by the way. Anyway, sorry, wow. I digress to seek revenge. But um, mm -hmm. I went into mathematics because I had something when I was a kid that nobody knew what it was. I had ADHD. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't do homework. I couldn't do anything. So mathematics allowed me just to sort of work off natural ability, just sort of get myself through it and do it. I have to read anything. And I had the same thing, but no one knew what that was at the time. And now as an adult, I've actually learned in the last 20 or 25 years to channel that very, very high energy into being productive. There's a bunch of famous people, I think, out there that have it like me and have learned to, to you know, channel it and be like uber productive 
That's how you raise five kids and run a big company on your own. So how, how, but how did you know Did that? I mean, when we were kids, they didn't, they didn't diagnose you with ADHD. I mean, there, there was no such thing. Exactly. Exactly. I'm afraid you'd get beat up at school for that. Like, Hey, I have ADHD. Yeah. Right. That's right. That's right. You, you, why don't you wear pink? Right. It's the same. (laughs) (laughs) See how carefully you see how carefully I navigated that. Right. Okay. Okay, so um, (laughs) (laughs) people don't understand why we're laughing, but okay. So, um, you know, no, they didn't care. They just thought you were the kid that didn't do your homework or just couldn't sit still in class. Right. Stare out at the window, you know, banging your pencil on the desk or whatever it was. And, you know, looking at the girls when you were a little bit older, you know, like once I got eight or nine, looking at the girls. And um, and that was it. I couldn't I couldn't do anything. So I just went into math. When I was in college, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I took freshman English. I almost, like, you know, committed suicide in the class. They actually made you read stuff, you know, and sort of, I don't know, I got my way through school. I got to an Ivy League grad school, got graduate degrees in mathematics. I don't know how exactly how I did it, but it wasn't through sort of sitting still. And then I went out into the world and just, you know, worked 60 hours a week because you have that kind of, you know, boundless energy. You're like, I still have it. I, I can tell. Like. I'm get. I was getting ready to say, "Hey, Matt, you know they make decaffeinated brands with just as much flavor." No, <laughs> I'm only on like my fourth cup. <laughs> I still got another six or seven to go. You know. So, so I, I want to. So, you built a 100 million dollar business, and 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 it was your business. Mm-hmm. Um, and and but I, I'm sure that when you were going to Rutgers. What maybe maybe you did know you were going to build a hundred million dollar business? No, no. I I actually sort of had a I, I I was very young, so I graduated high school very young. My parents had pushed me ahead. That was actually like the biggest mistake ever. Never do that to your kids. But separate issue. It led to a lot of the problems in my life: low self esteem, picking the wrong woman, marrying the wrong woman, having five kids with her, having her leave you, and then you know writing a best selling book. But um, for me, when I was in college, I thought I was going to be a mathematician. Uh, you know, I, I had this sort of thing that I was going to go in, you know, prove some theorem. Yeah, I'll really nerd myself right now. I thought I was going to prove Fermat's theorem, and I was going to be this famous, famous mathematician. Andre Wiles beat me to it, though, you know, like 1990 or whatever. Um, no, and then when I got into graduate school, I sort of had this moment where it's like, you know, I, I don't like this academic stuff. I don't like the politics. I don't like the people in academia. I'm not going to do this. So I started focusing on the business and I started working in the business. I actually, the first thing I did was I we computerized the business back in the mid eighties, believe it or but, not. And, and I wrote all the software that ran this business. Wait, 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 wait. When did you, did you when did you start the business? Did uh, I miss was, that? It was actually a business that existed. It was a small business, which okay. I got involved in. It was family business. It was related to the family in some way. I started working there. I looked, and when I was going to grad school, I'm talking about mid 80s, 19, I'm really dating myself. Not that people don't think that I'm not even <laughs> guy. Um, mid 80s, I looked at it. They needed to be computerized. They didn't know what computers were, of course, at that time. I think the right. IBM PC had just come out. And wow. I computerized the business. I wrote all the software that ran the entire business for about 10 years. And eventually, you know, we grew to a point where that really wasn't possible and the CEO and mm-hmm. 
exactly can be writing the software. But in any event, I that's sort of was my entree into business. I was always around business. And I think I really, this is really sort of a funny thing to say, because when you're studying an academic subject like mathematics, it's extremely theoretical. You're in sort of this intellectual world. And I think maybe that energy level that I have made that very difficult for me. And I really like the concept of working with my hands. So I yeah. went to work for a company where I could work in the warehouse, I could work in the office, I can manage things, I can run around. It, it had a more physical component. I don't know if I've ever really described it like that, but I think that was a driving component where the idea of doing something that was just completely cerebral versus something that was both cerebral and physical was that the latter was much more appealing to me. So, okay. So you got involved in this business and it wasn't yours. No. And, and you just got in there and worked your face off. We'll That's just correct. Worked, my, worked my ass off and built the company. It was a $1 million company when I entered it. Wow. And, and, did you so did you end up becoming the owner of this company? Yep, I ended up becoming the owner with one other person, partners in the company, and um we built the company into a, a big company. And it was a cam a camera business? It was um when I first went into the business, we the business was selling film. For those of you who you know know who Franco Harris is, will know who Phil will know what film is. Um, <laughs> and we actually sold flash bulbs. Those were the two biggest items that were sold. And they were sold to what? small stores. Really? Eventually, you know, went and sold other things. It was a B2B business. It got converted to a B2C business as the small stores started going out. When film, you know, eventually phased out, I actually have a great story about reinvention, uh, you know, reinventing business. When, when I speak, I actually speak a lot about business reinvention and because I went through a business that had such dramatic technological advances and marketplace disadvantages that um, the business required constant reinvention. So I have really good stuff about how, you know, finding yeah. your way through, finding your way through that. Um, so we had to reinvent the business when it went digital. Um, and in each of those phases, the business was on its way out. If we didn't reinvent, we would not have made it. And we ended up in the end with a big distribution company, a few other product lines and a revolutionary camera store. Um, I actually personally get credited with reinventing the modern camera store model. And essentially every camera store that exists today runs off that reinvention that I had of the camera store itself. Um, the ones that still are around and uh, doing well. So <clears throat> I know you're, you're probably going to just like leave the interview when I say this, I've never been in a camera store. No, of course that's not surprising. I don't know. What is a camera store? I mean, I know they, they sell cameras, but like, I, I mean, I, I have a wonderful camera right here. Mm -hmm. You <laughs> bet. What is it? So what's a, I mean, what they just, they camera stores sell cameras. Um, okay. So camera stores, uh, let's sort of walk you through this. Give me a minute and I'll walk you through this. Yeah. Um, camera stores at one point uh, sold processing. They sold, you know, when it, back in the film days, they sold film. So if you yeah. think about the way a camera store operated, you went to camera store to buy a roll of film. Okay. You bought a camera there. It was the only place. There was no internet. So you bought a camera there. It was yeah. really the only place. They were the only ones that had a Nikon dealership or a Canon dealership or whatever it was. You bought a camera there. Then you would buy a roll of film, one visit to the store, back to drop it off to get it developed. That's two. 
back to the store again to pick up your prints and then buy more film and then over and over and over again. Um, you know, and this was, and film, you know, I see someone, you have someone jump on who, who worked for Eastman Kodak. So Eastman Kodak was, you know, one of the largest top, top uh, fortune top 10 company selling billions of dollars worth of film. A lot of it was sold through uh, the camera stores. And so they had this repeat model. When digital photography came about, the camera stores all essentially went away because they couldn't get that repeat business into the store and digital cameras became ubiquitous. You could buy them on the internet, you can buy them at big box, you can buy them anywhere. Um, and the reusability, sort of the razor and the razor blade concept went away. And so what a modern camera store does and what I brought to the camera store and why you might wanna go to a camera store is that the modern camera store creates an experience. It's not just about selling cameras, it's about the joy of photography and learning photography. So one of the tricks that I did to really build that store was I built a photography education program. Oh. And that became a very experiential kind of model for the store. Um, okay. We actually had thousands of people running through our unique university, it was called. And we would teach photography. We would teach smartphone photography to come in to learn how to take better pictures with your smartphone. And then when you're in the store, maybe we'll sell you a camera because you realize that smartphone only captures about 70% of your pictures really well. The other 30% you're letting go. And if you're going on a trip or you have little kids or you have, you know, you want to get a little bit better quality, you want your Instagram to grow, you want so, 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 I can keep going on. We'll yeah. sell you a camera and we'll get you into photography. And there are a lot of people out there that do love photography and are interested. So the modern camera store, the ones that survive, create an experience. I'm actually here in Miami. I actually study the camera store that's here right now in Miami. And I can see they're doing a lot of the stuff. They're running classes and excursions and they're just trying to draw people into the store. Otherwise you just go on Amazon or Best Buy or wherever it is and you just buy your camera. So if we can, you get that camera, you're gonna have trouble using it. We'll explain to you how to use it, how to get better pictures, how to create better memories and make your life better. So people show up with their new, um, <clears throat> I had a, I had a studio with with professional videographers that worked for me and mm -hmm. and and this guy that worked for me said we we need to buy this camera right. and and I said what it's a Canon 5D or something I said mm -hmm. this several years ago and I said That's okay a revolutionary camera because it it uh, introduced video photography yes to the DSLR yes and and so so we get this camera and he goes, Oh, we're going to need a couple of lenses. I thought the cameras, that's not bad. Heck yeah. Let's do it. And then he's like showing me these $1,500, $3,000 lenses. I said, are you smoking crack? I thought we like did a drug test on you before we hired you. That's insane. I'm not paying $3,000 for a lens. So, so, you know, I think about that and that like, is there a, legit question is there a big markup in lenses or are they really that expensive they're really that expensive the camera business very difficult business because it works off low margins and that's why you need to um you need to uh have add-ons like selling you know having rental equipment having used equipment having you know experience kind of things i see we have a camera store a person just came on and watched yeah the 
Alan's camera in Utah, so you know they'll know all about the business. I think what's really interesting is somehow there's cord camera. All right, there I, you I, go. I know. I, I know. We, know. Got, like, we got like the camera store. Who's who? It's, that's awesome. You I know, know, one of the I really know cool the cordal the cordal family here in Columbus. I I know them. Yeah. That's right. They ran a classic uh, classic yeah. camera store. Yeah. Right? And if you want to be successful there, you have to have all those add-ons because the margin is low. And I'll tell you something else. So I'm sort of entering back into the business peripherally. The company I'm, I'm, I've co-founded now, a new company, is called Insurious. And one of the things that we do is insure camera equipment because camera equipment is the most broken and stolen expensive item on earth. And there's actually no, if you go out and your camera's stolen, which ha literally would happen every day when I was running my business, we'd have a customer come in and say, it's stolen, the lens dropped while we were doing the shoot, and so on, and all of that stuff. We now actually provide equipment insurance. That company's going to launch in about a week or two. Wow. So there's no product like it. So um, this is, I'm, I'm announcing right here for the first time, I'm actually going to step back sort of into that uh, camera business a little bit. And it's going to be something that camera stores will be able to sell. Wow. And then add on to the sale where they'll be able to sell insurance. So if the equipment, if that $10,000 worth of equipment, it's in your studio and you have an earthquake and the studio collapses on all of that equipment or someone breaks it and steals it, it's covered for a very economical price. That's what our new company is going to do. Insurious. I, I saw, I saw, I, not to let the cat completely out of the bag, but I was on the website and it starts at like 12 bucks a month or something. And for about 12 and a half dollars a month, you get about six grand worth of, of equipment coverage. And it's not just cameras. We can cover bikes. You know, you think bikes are stolen, you know, expensive. Wow. Bikes yeah. Right on, you know, musical equipment, your laptop computer, you know, so we're going to be able to cover that. There's no product like this out there. And it's a fintech company. So it's going to be basically no people. You'll be able to just sign on seven minutes or less, enter your credit card, and you'll be covered for this kind of stuff. And nothing like this exists. I'm very excited about this company. I think it has huge potential. Wow. That's pretty cool. So I'm going to step back in. All those people that think I left that camera business, that photography business, yeah. and they got rid of me. Well, I'm about to, I'm about to come back into that business. They're gonna like me this time. I give everybody something they can make money on. What's the uh, what is the website again for that? It's Insurious. It's it's spelled just like it sounds. I N S U R I O U S dot U S. It's got one of those fancy new extensions. Dot U S. Let me see. You tell me if I if I got it right. That's it. Perfect. Insurious.us. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. Couldn't awesome. do it better. So, so um, somebody type that into the comments for me, if you would. So, so um, <clears throat> let's go back to the the million dollars a year um, company that you walked into, and and talk about because I have a lot of entrepreneurs that watch this show. Um, what was it that made you so special? What was it that that you know took this million dollar a year company and turned it into a hundred million dollars a year? That's a giant leap. Um, okay, I, I really like the that's that sort of a thought process that goes in because obviously, like you said, entrepreneur is really looking for this. So yeah. the first most important thing is you have to ask yourself one question. And this is my motto, I ask this question of myself daily, is how badly do you want it, right? If you want something badly enough, you're going to do anything in your power. 
In my case, I had five kids to take care of as a single dad. I needed to feed them. I needed to pay the excess. I needed to do all sorts of things. So for me, failure was not really going to go well for me. And so I think it starts with desire. And, and, I, and I think when I look back at my career, when our business faced really terrible obstacles along the way, it was just sort of a relentlessness. You know, people always ask me, What's, what book do you recommend? Other than my leader of the pack book, I always say, I always recommend a book called Relentless. And so if you want to be a successful, uh. entre you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you need to be a closer. And that means when I walked into that $1 million business, I looked at every aspect of the business and worked hard on every aspect, marketing, tech, operations, finance, looked at everything and tried to continuously, uh, relentlessly improving every aspect of the business. And when I sensed anything could be going wrong, looking to expand into other markets, looking to reinvent, reimagine, do all of those things relentlessly for 25 years. That's how you do it. Tim Grover's been in my car. I gave him and his manager a ride to their hotel in Vegas one time. So is his, by the way, I need to ask you a question. So in real life, is his voice like his, his book? Oh yeah. Yes. He's very intense. I, I, um, yes, I have pictures with him. He signed, signed my copy. That book is incredible. I totally agree with you. That book um, actually I, is the book that I lean on, you know, when I'm feeling weak, I yeah. can show you, I can actually share my screen. I think, I think I saved in like a Google keep notes because it's yeah. right here, like on my phone. I have like reminders from that book. It's like the only thing like I've, other than that and like the Torah, I think yeah. the only two things I need to read to keep me going. <laughs> So, so you, but you, you go into this business, it's a million dollars a year, which actually sounds like a lot, but it probably not in that business with, no, it's not, it's not, it's not a lot. So, so you, um, and Kevin Naylor, it is, um, it, it's, it's called relentless by Tim Grover. Unbelievable book. Amazing book. Amazing book. I listened to it on audio, but on audio. Yeah, really powerful on audio. It really yeah. kind of, I kept finding myself stopping, like literally writing down kind, yeah. kind of things. And I learned yeah. I'm a closer. It was a really yeah. kind of good for my ego. I'm definitely a closer. That's yeah. his, that's his, for those of you, you mean, who read the book. You mean cleaner. 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 Sorry, cleaner. cleaner. Yeah. Right. yeah. Cleaner. That's right. Sorry. Got yeah. No, you're right. Cleaner. Yeah. So, right. so, but, but look, I, how many entrepreneurs would love to say they build a hundred million dollar company? Did you always think, man, I'm going to, I'm going to build a hundred million dollar a year company. Did you think that? Yeah. I, I didn't necessarily. Really? Yeah. I didn't necessarily think I had the number in my mind, but there was nothing going to stop me. And I was willing to do whatever it took legally and ethically. Cause I, I like that um, legally and ethically to make that happen. And I was going to grow that business. And quite frankly, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest, this is going to sound a little bit jerky of me, but <laughs> I really am disappointed with the result because if I had been in a growth industry, like, like I was in the, the camera business, the electronics business at the same time, the computer industry took off. Remember I told you, I had walked in this business in the mid eighties, the IBM PC came out. So I watched this computer industry. I watched companies like Ingram micro and tech data and stuff. Some of them bit the dust already after the fact, but I yeah. watched them grow. These distributors grow at these enormous rates because they were in an industry that was growing in hundreds or thousands of percent per year. 
the camera business, the photography business, depending on whose figures you really look at, they always show this kind of gentle growth upward, but it wasn't even in many areas, the business was always in a little bit of decline or just a very slight growth. And when a business is in a slight growth industry and the bar to entry is not that high, it's very difficult to grow a company. So I, you know, I always think I would have had a billion dollar company if I had been in a different industry. Wow. So I'm disappointed at that, you know, internally, I, I'm not trying to be a jerk and not trying to say, you know, trying to be like, Oh, you know, only built a hundred, you know, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm definitely not, I'm, I'm grateful to God and I'm grateful for everything that happened to me. And I'm very blessed and all of those things, but we're on a business, you know, we're talking business now. Yeah. And I, I really feel like the expertise that was applied, the marketing that was done, the marketing awards that our company won, the reinventions, the concepts. If I had done that in a growth industry, you know, I'd be like, uh, they'd call me Matt Tesla Sweetwood or something like that. <laughs> That wasn't, that, well, wasn't, that wasn't the course for me. So, you know, I had to, to suffer my way through the end there. But, but you, you, um, you, you ended up selling the business. Mm -hmm. Um, you said you got out at the right time. So I'm assuming you sold the business for a profit. <laughs> I mean, what, what does a profit mean? If you work 25 years in something, how much money is the right amount of money you should walk away with? Trust me, whatever that number is, you're probably not going to think it's enough. Yeah. Because if I amateurize what I walked away with, <clears throat> I divided by the number of hours that I put in. Right. You know, Starbucks might have been, you know, pretty equal if I put that many. <laughs> I certainly yeah, right. would have owed less to my ex-wife. But anyway, okay. That's it. <laughs> So we're really going in a different direction. You can read about that in my leader of the pack book. That well, and, and talk talk about your leader of the pack book because I know that that um, when you and I initially spoke, we talked about you know the ex-wife. We talked about the the you know you and you said it's all in the book, and I'd like you to touch on that a little bit. Like talk about the um, if you don't mind. No, no, no. Of course. Yeah. Um, the, the moment that, that you realized your ex-wife was gone and you had five kids to raise by yourself, mm -hmm. dude, so, that, that doesn't happen by the way, like normally. No, it doesn't. I've um, never heard of that. The youngest, when she walked out, the youngest was 18 months old, still in diapers. The oldest was eight. And then um, we were in a state that isn't very, very friendly to men. I had a little bit of a crazy judge, made some poor choices with my own representation, ended up with one of the longest divorces in the history of New Jersey and um, a very, very difficult journey. But I think at that moment, I went, I, I think while it was all going on, first of all, it was a little bit of suspended disbelief that this was happening. And then, you know, you have this moment where you think maybe you're going to run right? Guys run. I think maybe go to Hawaii and surf, something like that. <laughs> go to the only problem is I hate sand. I'm like yeah. a neat person and I hate sand on my feet and stuff. So I'm not surfing. And you um, live in Miami? Yeah. No, no, no. I, I live in Miami, not Miami Beach. That oh, means okay. when I look out my window over there, I yeah. see the ocean at a very, very comfortable distance. I get the ocean breeze. I see the palm trees and I watch the people on the beach. It's great. Um, so, you know, I thought about running in all seriousness. I thought about running. Obviously, I looked at my little children, loved my children. Um, and I think it, I think for me, it was just 
the, the love of them kept me there and said, okay, I need to fix this. That's really yeah. what it comes down to. It's just, I'm a fixer. Okay. You yeah. know, I'm a fixer. And I just stepped in and said, okay, I, I got to somehow get through this. It looks like a 20 year jail term. I'm going to be a single dad. I was overweight at the time. I was out of shape. I was bankrupt because of what was happening with the divorce and the business was not doing well. And the kids were all messed up and life was a mess. And my book leader of the pack is really about how I came out of that. And it's a book for anybody who has gone through difficulty or is struggling and how you find your path out of that. You know, I'm really proud of that book because not because as you know, you write a book book is not about making money. Cause once again, you divide the hours that you put into the book by the amount of revenue you get from the book. If yeah. <laughs> that's negative. Okay. Forget yeah, Starbucks. Yeah. Okay. That's going to work for Starbucks and paying them to work at Starbucks. Okay. Right. Um, so the book comes out. I have reviews. People literally write me all the time. Say I read your book. It changed my life. I going through this difficulty. I didn't know how did this work, this relationship, this business thing and things. So for me, that's what it really it, it came about. My book sort of tells my story of how I transitioned from that very, very low moment, low self-esteem, financial mess, family mess, business mess, all of those things, and how step by step I kind of pulled myself out and the mental transformation that it required in order to do that. And, and I think, you know, you asked me how the business went from a million to a hundred million. It's all about what's up here. I know that sounds like, you know, a lot of these guys get up and they talk and they say, you know, it's all within you. And it's all, you know, you hear all of these things, but there's yeah. some, there's an element of truth to that. And one of the things that I do when I speak and I, in the book is I really get very specific about the kinds of thought processes that you have to go through in order to transform your thinking process that allows you to be successful and allows you to get out of what seemingly are impossible or extremely painful or difficult circumstances. Mm. Wow. <clears throat> so you, you had five kids, you're going through this divorce. Um, your, your, your ex-wife leaves you with five kids I, that that I, that doesn't register with me and she used the legal system try to take every penny i ever had ever made and they gave it to her let's uh, talk about that in the book too it's a crazy settlement i ended up with a case in the supreme court a, a non sort of sort of related to the divorce in the supreme court which i won took me eight years and a lot of my own money changed changed the law in new jersey and so on so wow yeah, a crazy, cra a crazy journey. That's why I wrote the book because you get sort of the end of this, and you have you sort of come out of it, and you're like, why did all of this happen to me? What did I do? I was like this kid from New Jersey that was supposed to just grow up, have a you know, a wife, two kids, a dog, a, you know, a two car garage, the white, you know, you know what the, the dream was: make some money, have a good life, watch football on the weekends, you know, without any uh, social justice and all of the. Wait, wait, sorry, separate. <laughs> Okay. Social distance. Social distance. Right. <laughs> okay. This was all supposed to happen, but it didn't happen like that. You know, God had a different plan for me. Dude. And, uh, and I'm very blessed for everything that happened. You know, my kids are amazing today. Talk about that in the book. You know, they've made it to, you know, you can't write a book like that, by the way. Like if one of your kids grows up and, you know, smokes crack and uh, makes his way onto, national tv and you know loses his computer in 
the shop with all the bad emails. Sorry, I know I'm digressing here, but if one of my kids was that, I probably couldn't write the book. But, well, you uh, could, but you could run for president. I could run for president. That <laughs> seems to be clear, right? We just lost half our audience. I'm sorry, I couldn't help. It just, it just took me there. That is awesome. I love that. Okay. So, oh my fortunately, my kids are all really lovely human beings, <laughs> and they all they all did really well. None of them smoke crack, and none of them. Um, I won't go to the other things. I'm really trying to control myself. Okay. <laughs> You said like, I, I've not, no nobody has ever described their 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 adult children as none of them smoke crack. <laughs> like, right. That's right. Good job, Dad. That's right. And so, none of them I don't think none of them ever married their their brother's wife or anything like that either. I don't think any of that happened either in you know whatever. So and never been, and none of my kids have ever been to Ukraine or Russia or China. That's not true. One of my daughters was to China. See, I'm close. Uh, so, so, um, wow. <laughs> they're, they're Sorry to throw off the undertone. We're out of time now where it's kind of hard not to be thinking about that stuff, you know? Dude, that is so funny. Oh, wow. So, so, um, <clears throat> Jeez, I, I, you need to brain, regain yourself right there, right? My, my brain is now. Right. We were I, talking about having five kids, and you know, yeah. sort of the mother left, and so, you know. so you and you, you, you keep saying I was a single father. I was a single father the whole. So you didn't like go. I got to get a wife to help me with these kids. Um, actually, I did. Uh, oh. Actually, I did four or five years after um, my first wife left. I um. I married again, but I'm not going to tell you what happened with that. I'm going to have asked people to go get my leader of the pack book and they can see what happened with that. And from that second marriage is an amazing lesson, amazing thing that a lot of people can take into their lives. And um, I think that is one of the pivotal points of the book. Um, what happened with my business and my second wife and all sorts of things. To me, it's a very fundamental point of the book. So I'm not telling right now. You have to read the book. Oh, come on. People are still going to buy the book. Okay. I, okay. okay. You twisted. You just, you, you, you are. You you're can't like, a, hanging, man. That's you're like, that was like being waterboarded right there. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Ken Tuanamo. Right. <laughs> Uh, right. So, Those walls are real high walls. There's no escape. Yeah, so, right. Um, it's about repeating the same mistakes over and over again in your life. And and this is really the lesson, which is um, we make we tend to make the same mistakes over and over again in our lives when we only understand them at a mental level. And until you understand something in your heart and you understand what it is about you that causes you to make those mistakes, you'll continue to make the same mistakes. And that can be with business, it can be in relationships, it can be with your children, it can be with friends, it can be with almost anything. I think, you know, it says in, and I don't want to get too, you know, biblical on us, but I think it says in the Bible, the Torah, that you can fall up to seven times, right? You keep making the same mistake up to seven times, but you forgive yourself, right? And I think that's one of the big lessons of the book too, is to learn how to forgive yourself when you really screw the pooch.
You know, I've talked about that a lot of times. I'm posting the link to your your book, by the way, um, so everyone can click on that and go grab a copy. Dude, I, 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 like, <clears throat> you have, I'm looking at it, well, until you click the wrong dang thing. You have 138 five-star ratings on this book, dude. Mm-hmm. And if you read the reviews, this to me is literally one of the most rewarding things in my life. You read the reviews. It's not just, hey, great book, easy read. That's not what the reviews say. They talk about how the book affected them, how they viewed it, how it changed their lives, how they realized maybe they were in the wrong relationship, how they can use it to find their way out of some difficulty that they have, some business things in there. So the, what the reviews say to me is really what it's about. And, you know, and the book has a profound uh, profound effect. Uh, someone's asking if it's on Audible. Laura, yes, it is definitely it is. on Audible. And Audible. Kindle. And, and Kindle, yeah, exactly. Go, go to that link I just posted. That is my Amazon referral link, by the way. So they will pay me a commission on that. They take it directly out of Matt's profits. That's right. Uh, That's right. I'm back to <laughs> Starbucks. It's okay. I'll put an extra hour in Starbucks. It'll be all good. I'm picking on Starbucks, by the way. I know. What I was looking at their stock yesterday. Their stock basically has gone nowhere. I hope it, like Starbucks is not sponsoring podcasts because you know they're. But, I just killed your sponsor. They, yeah, they they were until today. So. Yeah, until today, yeah, yeah. You have these guests on that just are out of control and just you know chase away the sponsors. First of all, I chased half your audience. Now <laughs> you're chasing your sponsors. <laughs> I don't know why the audience would leave. You were just making a. a a statement about your children that they're exactly not right. back and visiting China or the Ukraine. Right, right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, um, so you, um, so you, uh, so the second marriage didn't, it doesn't sound like it worked out. <laughs> no, in fact, it was so identical to the first one. It's actually shocking. Oh man. Mm -hmm. Wow. And okay, so that okay. Now hang on. So you recognized that you were in some sort of a pattern. Yeah, and it wasn't until you realized that that's really about you, what you're attracting, what you're allowing, your view of it. Like you have this in your head. Like obviously, you leave the first marriage, and you're like, I am never marrying a woman exactly like that again. And of course, and then, you don't. But you. You miss the deep point of what you what got you there, right? And, so, so and you, you sort of going to what you're familiar with, right? Even if it's in a different form. Yep. Right. The right the enemy can come in multiple forms. I'm not calling them enemies. I'm just sort of using it as a metaphor, right? right? It can come in different. It can come in many different flavors. And if you're only looking for strawberry. Right when pistachio comes along, you doesn't look. It doesn't. It doesn't look like strawberry. Doesn't even taste like strawberry. But you know what? They both get you fat. Wow. Now I've got to get rid of all my pistachio ice cream. Well, so, so most of the ice cream pistachio, unless you're getting like Haagen Dazs, right? Like fake pistachio. They even like make it with <laughs> vanilla and stuff like that. <laughs> so okay. so. So you, okay, how, if I may ask, um, how old were you when you, when, all, when the second marriage occurred? Um, so I was 22 and I was a babe. I mean, that's not 22 
like it is today. I mean, that was 22, you know, back way back when. Yeah, um, right. You know, it was a little little different. Um, I was 22, first marriage, got married again when I was um, 34, 35, something like that. And then both marriages were nine years, almost exactly to the day. Okay, so you were in your you were in your early 40s. 40s, yeah, like when it ended. Yep, exactly. And and that's when you realize that okay, there's a pattern here. Not only is there a pattern, but there's a little bit of um, I was put in a circumstance with my second marriage where I was forced to sort of be alone for a year. It was a sort of trapped in a circumstance, and in that year, a lot of very important things happened to me from an understanding perspective, from a spiritual perspective that really changed my life, which I do really go into in the book. And that change of perspective, that understanding of my own weaknesses that al allowed this to happen. I mean, I want to emphasize that this, what happened to me, I'm not blaming anybody else. I'm not even blaming them. It was my fault. I chose to marry these women. I chose to have five kids with those, that first woman. I chose to do all the decisions in my life I chose. I made these decisions. And what right. brought me to those decisions is really what I had to work on to prevent it from happening again. And and so you did work on that. Oh yeah, heavily work, very painful work to really understand that. And you know this is not unusual. You know where, and I actually coach men right now. I'm actually yeah. coaching gentlemen right now. Really successful guy who has you know, I think sometimes guys, men in particular, and I've coached men and women, but I think sometimes with men who are very, very successful, they don't put that kind of thought process into their personal relationships. They just want it to go well. They want to find comfort or companionship and, you know, partnership. And they just want that. And they don't realize that that requires maybe sometimes more analysis than the business in order to make that successful. And I think that a lot of really nice, successful men end up in situations like you know, that I find that I found myself in. And so one of the things I do when I when I help other men, and I do it sometimes just for just as a give back, um, I think that just sort of reanalyzing how we approach relationships is a really, um, really important idea. Sure. So so let me ask you a question. You so uh, I mean, dude, you went to an Ivy League school for your graduate degree, right? Yeah, I did. Um, and you, you built a company, you took a company from $1 million to, to a hundred million in a year, a year. That's, that's a lot. Not a year. It took, it was many years. It was many no, years. No, 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 no. I mean, it does a hundred million dollars a year. Yeah, 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 of course. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, it took it. No, I know. One year, I would be like, whoa, yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. So, so you went, you, you did all of this, you exit the business, they bought, you get, you sell the company. Um, I'm assuming you got at least five or 600 bucks profit out of that. That's right. Uh, and a Starbucks gift card. <laughs> and a nice place in Miami. You're right. Exactly. Uh, so you, you, um, you, what is it that you think and, and I ask this question of every guest. Now, the number one answer is fear. And I, 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 I tell my smartest guests this so they can come up with something better. Um, so, so what do you think 
the number one thing is that holds people back in life from happiness and financial success? Honestly, I think it's not, it's a, it's a two prong thing, which go together. It's uh, not wanting something badly enough and not working hard enough. I think particularly in the internet age, I, I don't think it's, I, I actually don't agree with fear. Uh, maybe some people have fear. Obviously everybody's different, yeah. but I think that if you want something and you want it badly enough, you are going to do whatever it takes. So a lot of times, you know, I've had business partners, I've consulted many companies along the way. And many times I walk in the CEO, the founder, the principal people, I'm looking at them. I'm like, they don't have the desire to be successful. They're in a tough business where they need to do some things and they think they're working hard, but they're really not, you know? And, and I think that it's very rare that someone works relentlessly and fails. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Obviously, you know, life has deals many twists and there's bad luck. But I promise if you look out of your guests and you look at the business they're in, I'll bet almost every one of them can say I can work harder, stronger, more, more, you know, more with more aggression and try to lift it. I probably can do that. So to me, that that is really the defining element. I'm going to give you a little anecdote. I was giving a talk on employment. It was actually in New York City. I was giving a talk. It was at the Microsoft Center or something, one of these fancy locations. And the people that were gathered there were all Ivy League graduates. That was the basis of the employment conference. You couldn't get in unless you went to Penn, Harvard, Yale, whatever. And they were all people that were in management at some point, high-level management, and unemployed. And I was I was given this talk about you know going out there, and I was given a little bit of talk. You can have something if you want it badly enough. And I remember there was this woman, middle-aged woman, sitting really up front, and she kept shaking her head as I'm talking. You know, and if you've ever given a talk, right, and you have someone doing that, it actually is distracting. It's sort of like a passive-aggressive heckling, right, <laughs> where they're, they're just <laughs> sitting, <laughs> sitting in the front shaking their head. So I finally stopped. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm a mess, you know, whatever her name, Lisa. Lisa, I'm like, why, why, what, why are you shaking your head? She goes... I don't agree that you can have, you can have, you can do anything. You can have anything. If you want, you want it badly enough. She goes, you know, I always thought that I should have been a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor. I can't be a doctor. So I paused. I looked at her. I said to her, I said, where'd you go to school? She went to, I think, Columbia. That explained the attitude, by the way. Wow. But that's a separate issue. Um, <laughs> Columbia. I said, what's your degree in? I don't know. What's some liberal arts degree or something like that? I said, you do. I got a guy shaking his head right now. Except now it's on the internet. We're going to go after him. I'm going to call it like the cancel culture on him and get that dude canceled. Okay. So um, my buddy. He's a good dude. I'm going to tell everybody that, that he's a Trump supporter or something like that. And then they're, they're going to right? he voted for Trump. Go after him. Okay. So, um, California and if Trump. Yeah, that's Trump. That's it. Go after him. Exactly. Um, so I go to her. I said, so you went to Columbia. You get good grades. I said, how are you financially? I, I'm not asking specific. I don't, you know, don't disclose anything. She goes, we're, we're okay. I said, what is your husband? Your husband's a lawyer. I said, so you can't be a doctor. I said, of course you can. I said, right now, I said, you should get up from this seminar. Okay. You should drive uptown. It's about 60 blocks. Go uptown. Go ask for a meeting with the dean at Columbia. Okay. And see if you can get yourself back in there. You've had all this industry success and experience. Go finish whatever courses you need, 
go to medical school. You don't need the income, right? You have enough money. You told me, go to medical school, work your ass off, and in 10 years, you're a doctor. Oh, right. why, why can't you do that? You're not smart enough, you're telling me? You're telling me, what are you telling me? I don't really understand. No, you can't be a doctor because you don't really want it badly enough to go put in the number of years necessary in order to do it. So, you know, I, I have a question for you because I agree I agree with you a thousand percent. I, I agree. Um, <clears throat> but, comma, but. Mm -hmm. And we all know what comes after out of a but. So, so where does somebody let's say that's where does somebody find that drive and that and joe said it as part of your his lack of intensity where would where does somebody find that drive i think that that's the most personal question you can possibly ask for me i have a mortal fear of failure People always say, this is like the self-help experts would be like, this is a terrible strategy. But I get up in the morning and I say, Matt, you are a failure. You do I not. wake up in the morning, you are a failure. What have you done today to be successful? You've done absolutely nothing, zero, other than look at your cell phone, you know, check your email. What did you do? You didn't do anything today. So I want to make sure that when I go to bed at night, I can say I'm a success. I don't want to go to bed saying I'm a failure. I understand that's a little metaphoric. For me, there were many times when I looked at those little kids and I'm like, this is, they didn't ask to be put on this earth. I love them. I want them to be, I, I, I can't let them, you know, end up smoking crack. I can't end up having them in a bad way. I need to figure out how to support this family, how to make all of this work. Right. Right. I, I think Philip said, if you can't find the drive, you don't have it, you don't. But I think you can find the drive. I agree to some extent with what he's saying, but I think you have to find those things internally that are important to you. Why do you want it? Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Right. right. I don't want to, like, I'm Jewish. You're like, we have mother guilt and all sorts of things. It's like, you can't do that Tony Robbins stuff. It doesn't work for us. Okay. Right. And my mother's going to tell me I'm a failure. Okay. I can't let that happen. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I just think that. I think that something that he said is basically true, which is if you can't find it in yourself, you're just not going to be successful. But I think that that's really the point is that the first step is to find that thing that turns you on. Maybe yeah. you're just doing the wrong thing. Now, I will tell you, remember I said my motto is like I ask myself how badly I want it and how badly do I want it. And I think sometimes when things are not going well for me, I pause for a second and I say to myself, how badly do I? Maybe I just don't want this badly enough. Mm. I'm going to give you a really fun example. I came to here in Miami. I had, when my life went crazy back in New Jersey 25, 30 years ago, I used to be a golfer, like a pretty good golfer. I gave up golf, had to give up the club membership, didn't play golf for 20, 25 years. Came to Florida and I said, you know what? Golf is like, you know, like the beach here. Playing golf here is pretty easy. I'm going to take it up again. It's good relaxation. It's good exercise for an old guy like me in addition to all the other stuff I do. Um, you know, it's a good game. I took it up and I started playing like crap for about a month or two. And I was getting really frustrated. I'm like, you're not even as, you're not as good as you used to be. This is maybe getting old or something like this. And I said, I don't know, maybe I should give up the game. And then I had one of these moments where I said to myself, do you want to be good badly enough? Or you just want to play like old man golf? What, what is it? So I thought to myself, I'm like, no, I want this badly enough. I changed my schedule to make sure I can go out on a particular day every week. I found myself a friend who's a really good golfer because if you play with a good golfer, 
I got myself a few lessons for a few times. I now go to the range once a week. I'm working on my game. I'm watching YouTube videos. I'm doing all of these things that are necessary to order and improve my game. Now, I understand it's golf and it's not earth shattering, but really I had this moment with myself a few months ago where I realized that I didn't want to be a better player badly enough, and that's why I was doing poorly. And so that applies to every aspect of your life. You have to ask yourself that question. You find the motivation. Now, it may be that I turned to myself and said, you know what? I don't really care. I'm just going to go out and just whatever it is, it's a day out and just, okay, then you have to adjust it. I'm not like that. I mean, that's not happening ever for me in anything I do. But nevertheless, you have to make that judgment. And so sometimes maybe you're failing. Maybe you're just in the wrong career. Maybe you have the wrong business. Maybe you just don't like it. Maybe you're miserable. Maybe you're having a miserable time. At all. I don't know. You have to find those reasons why it is <clears throat> that you're not trying hard enough and find that motivation to really build that intensity. Laura asks a great question. She's a client of mine and a friend of mine. She's a doctor. She's well, she's a nurse practitioner. Um, what about a person who has an idea, wants to grow it, but needs the income and has to work while growing an idea? Where do they find the extra drive? I mean, this right in. So Laura, this is a situation where, you know, and I'm not trying to minimize your circumstance, you know, working and going to school or working and then trying to build a business but a lot of people have done that. You just have to say to yourself, how badly do I want to get out of that day job so that I don't have to work nine to five? Yeah. Right. And I think Joe is exactly right. It's the idea of what sort of visualize what that business would look like and what your life would look like if you were able to get out of that regular job and have that dream business or that dream career, whatever it is that you want, and just keep that visualized and let that provide you with the motivation. And that's what it was for me. I looked at that company and I'm like, you know, I want to be a star. I want this company to be a star. I want there. And I just kept imagining what that company would look like if I didn't have four employees. I had 120 employees, which we did at one time. Okay. And I looked at what each department would look like when it was like that. And I just kept visualizing and visualizing, saying, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. So if you want that business badly enough, you're going to do it. You're just going to say, hey, I don't want to turn around and be. 45 years old or 55 years old and say, I didn't do it. That fear, right? To use your thing, the fear, right? So you're right. That's right. You could be. You own the day job, right? So maybe that business is just not the right business or you have the wrong people. So stop for a second and retry to bring yourself outside that business. Hire a consultant if you need to. Make sure it's a good one because a lot of being straight out with you, a lot of consultants, not very good. Okay, somebody who has real business experience, hire, have them analyze the business if you can't analyze it yourself and decide where to take it. And then once you make that decision, it's all effort in, all just get in there and, and go do it. And maybe it's the wrong business. You know, they, there's, this, there's two sides to the slogan that says you haven't failed until you quit, right? You know, you've seen this meme go around, you haven't failed until you quit. But there's another side of it that says the first loss is the best loss. And you have to decide which one of those memes you want to employ. Maybe the business is wrong, right? Maybe you're just going down the wrong path. Stop, do something else. It's a harder yeah. thing to do, actually. Actually, I think that's harder sometimes than actually putting more effort in than into the business than to say, hey, I went down the wrong path. Time to stop and go in another direction. But you have to analyze and try to be objective. And if you can't, seek help. And, and you know, and that that – that's why you're now, I mean, you, well, it's not why, but you're shifting into a, 
a related business, but it's it's really completely different. Yeah, it's a completely different business. The insurious.us, the that that's the insurance business that you're in now that insures equipment like cameras and bicycles and golf clubs. Golf clubs, yes, sir. Really? There you go. You're out on that. Your golf clubs get stolen. Another item that gets stolen a lot. What, <laughs> gets what stolen if, what or if gets one accidentally ends up in the middle of a pond? Your eight iron, for example. You mean like, <laughs> were you watching me? You were watching. Is there one you prep for these shows? You send someone out to watch me. I tell you, when I hit that eight iron into the lake, my club followed right behind it. <laughs> I accidentally, it just slipped right out of my hands. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, there right now during this pandemic, I mean, pan pandemic, um, there's, there are man, the, you know, from what I've heard, the suicide rates are going. Oh crazy. yeah, absolutely. People and people abuse, abuse and drug use and alcohol. Yeah, it's, really yeah. very, it's painful to even think about. It really yeah. is. And, and, um, <laughs> Laura says, then you invest in anger management. <laughs> right. Right. So I would invest in anger management, but the thought pisses me off. So. <laughs> right. So, but yeah. like, you know, back when my wife and I, I had, I started my business and my wife and I, I started it on a $20 loan fresh out of a divorce and and just went out and knocked on doors man until my knuckles bled and and you know my wife i met her a couple years later then we you know we decided we're going to open an office we opened an office we got a few employees going and one day one of my employees walks in and says um hey boss uh there's some dude looking in the windows of your suv out in the parking lot and i'm like well, tell him to get the hell out of here. What are you doing in my office? And he's like, well, I would, but he has it blocked with his tow truck. <laughs> I'm like, son of a, that's going to leave a mark. And, and I, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to convince a repo man to not take your car, but it never works. And so I got my car repossessed in front of all my employees. That was such a wonderful day. And, and I remember feeling like, this is the worst day of my life. Like it literally felt like the absolute worst day of my life. I still remember it clearly. You feel the pain. I see. Oh we, God. We might need to talk about this offline. You know, we're, you know, we, <laughs> we can do some, we can do some yoga, you know, one of, one of these things. <laughs> I'm good now, but, but like, you know, there are people going through the crap that, that, yeah. that, don't see a way out, you know, maybe their car got repoed, maybe their electrics being shut off, maybe. And it sounds like you went through a lot of these things. Like you had five little kids and, and no wife and, and a company and you, the divorce and all the money out there. And like, you know, what about when somebody is hitting that wall right now where they feel like all hope is gone. I'm at the end of my rope this is BS, man. What do you um, say to that person in the moment to help them get through that? What I've, what I've actually done, believe it or not, is when I meet somebody like that, I hand them my book. And I'm not just saying that to sell the book because it takes you through a very complex 
thought process that helps you get through that. But when I'm just sort of, you know, on a show like this and you want to talk about it, it really comes down to your own internal strength. And I think one of the many epiphanies I had along the way is that I kind of said to myself, you know, as bad as things have gotten, you know, this too will pass. And I've gotten to this point, like, you know, there were times when I didn't know if how I was going to pay the rent or come up with money to feed the kids. And I said, look, you know, you made it 35 years, 40 years at that time on, on this earth. And you've been able to put food on the table and pay the rent and somehow it's going to work out and just, you know, you're at bottom now and it can only get better from here. And you have to sort of draw on the things. I, I know these sound like platitudes and it's more complicated than that, but either draw on faith or draw on the concept that, that it'll pass and you just have to hang in there. Don't quit. <clears throat> and I think that if you just don't quit, you yeah. stay strong, have, find faith. If you, if, if you have faith, I think that's really an important kind of thing. And there's a concept that comes from Judaism that I, I think is a really important concept. And I've actually told this to somebody who was suicidal, right? You know, very, very painful situation. The person got recommended to me and said, hey, help my friend out. I'm really worried about them. And, and they were really suicidal. And, and I sort of said to them, you never really know why things happen. You know, there's a, a parable. I can't believe I'm going to tell this parable. But there's an old, there's an old story there about the farmer and his horse. And, you know, the, the farmer had a horse and the horse ran away. And the neighbor came to him and said, oh, I'm so sorry. Your horse ran away. That's really bad luck. And the farmer said, mm, I don't know if it's bad luck. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Sure enough, a day or two later, the horse came back, brought back a whole mess more horses with him. The neighbor goes, wow, I guess it was good luck that the horse ran away. Farmer says, not really sure. Maybe it's good luck. Maybe it's not. The next day, his son was out riding one of the new horses. The horse threw him and the son broke his leg. Mm. Neighbor comes back and says, um, wow, I guess it was bad luck ultimately that your horse ran away. Neighbor says, if a guy says, no, nah, I'm not sure yet. It could be good luck, could be bad luck. The next day, the government comes and grabs up all the young men in the town and inscripts them in the army, except for his son because he had a broken leg. Then the guy turns to his neighbor and says, now I know it was good luck. The horse ran away. Wow. So the point being that you never know how things are going to work out. And I will simply apply that to my story, which is my wife walking out on us and my little kids was the best thing that ever happened to me. It turned me into the man I am. It forced me to grow up. It gave me a relationship with my children that I never would have had and forced me to do things and grow in a way that just wouldn't have been possible taught me about life and spirituality and all sorts of things. So I actually view it as a good thing in the end. And that's the lesson that you tell people that are really in a bad spot is you never know why things happen, but ultimately they usually happen for the good. Wow. Dude, that's powerful. Is that in the book? I talk about things like that in the book. Yes. That's why you get 137 five-star reviews and people telling you the book has changed their lives. That's awesome, man. So, and that's the that's really the ultimate lesson to people is that when bad things are happening, you ultimately never know where it's going to go. We only live in a short period of time. It's actually I can't believe we're going spiritual like this, but it's the, it's the one thing. So they say that Moses 
basically had knowledge to everything except one thing. And that one thing is why, essentially, I'll say it in this way, why uh, bad things happen to good people. In other words, what's really the purpose of things that happen? Why does a young baby get cancer? Or why does that? That's the one thing that God will never let us know the answer to. And so you never know. You only exist a finite time on this earth. And, you're, and a lot of times these events happen over days or weeks or months, even a few years. So you don't really know how it's going to play out in the long, in the scheme of things. Simple so as that. You, you, even Moses didn't know why bad things happen to good people. That's right. Wow. He was not allowed that. That was the last gate. He was not allowed to know that. Wow. Because God, time to God or time in the universe. You don't have to believe in God. Believe in the universe, whatever it is. Time is infinite. We only live a short period of time, yeah. you know, and there's a chain of events that happen that we cause as we go through life. And you never really know how it's going to turn out. And I will tell you that most of the bad things that I thought were just bad or terrible that happened to me in my life ended up ultimately being for my good in some way. Amen. Right? Man. That is that is in, that that's powerful. This book sounds absolutely amazing. I have not read it yet, but I'm going to. I think I added your book to my Amazon store. You did. You did. No, I very oh, much appreciate okay. that, of course. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's sold millions of more copies since that day that I added it. So I'm bypassing Hillary Clinton on her book sales. <laughs> A guy from New Jersey. Yeah. Wow, man. Um, do you know Jeffrey Gittimer? Jeffrey, I don't know the name. I don't. No, okay. I All those Jersey guys, we don't know each other. But. He's he he's he's from from that neck of the woods too. He's and he tells me all the time I need to be more Jewish. So yeah. so he's he's a good. You have guy. a little bit of that fire in you, by the way. I bet if you did a little genetic testing in there, you may have some connection to that. I feel the power within you. <laughs> I think I think I may have may have a little touch of of the blessing. So yes. so look, man, I, and I'm going to introduce you because Jeffrey is the um, author of the Little Red Book of Selling, which is the number one best selling sales book on planet Earth. So um, you guys need to know each other, especially since you're from the same block. Like exactly. come on. Yeah. Um, we speak the same uh, lingo. <laughs> you you definitely do. Trust me, you do. So everybody go right now and go pick up a copy of, of the book, Leader of the Pack, how a single dad of five kids, of five led his kids, his business, and himself from disaster to success. Go pick it up right now. Uh, in the in the personal Facebook feed, I have it. Um, the link is pinned to the comments. I dropped the link in to everyone else. Go get the book right now and change your life. Because Matt, dude, you have a powerful story, man. Like you really do. Powerful. I love it. Love it. So, and you know what? If you have a camera that needs insured, you can get it insured for like <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. That's right. Camera like, bike, all of those things. Almost. We're going to launch in about a week. Oh, the, it's not launched yet. The site's up. You can go look at it, but you can't buy it another week. We're really in the first stage of the startup. We're really excited about it. Well, that's called a takeaway close, dude. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so mark it on your calendar that in a week, uh, is there a way for people to sign up to be notified? Or no, just uh, just contact us, of course. For we'll twelve reach out to you and let you know. A month, you can get your your stuff insured. That's and I'm great. a hands-on guy. I got a lot of energy, so you can just write me too. And That's we'll make awesome. sure that we'll make sure to let you know. Reach out to me That's anywhere. I want to thank you for coming on, sharing your story. Thank you for your time. You are a rock star, man. I'm I'm very uh, very grateful that you came on and spent the time. I'm actually more grateful to have met you and call you a friend and to be on probably the best podcast. I've done a lot of these. Probably the best one I've been on in a long time. See, the secret of great podcast, great show host is to get the most out of their guests. And I got nothing left. That's it. <laughs> you lost all your hair. Literally. That's right. That's right. It was growing back before the show began. And that's it. Dude, you're awesome, man. Thank you. Stay with me. I'm going to end the live stream, but thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate you. Everybody, make sure you go follow Matt on uh, Instagram and Facebook and everywhere. Twitter. Right. I'm on Twitter too, everywhere. Twitter. I'm sweet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go, go follow him. This guy rocks. Thank you so much, Matt. And you guys have an awesome day. We will see you all tomorrow. Matt, don't hang up on me. I want to chat with you after this. So we'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a great day. Thanks, Matt.